Tonight we hear the concluding portions of our Lord's Passion history recorded in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 27th chapter. We begin reading with verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, when they heard, when they heard that, said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone, let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons.
We hear now the final portion of our Lord's Passion History from Matthew 27. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Here ends our reading. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, tonight we are reminded of the great sacrifice of your Son on our behalf. We pray tonight that your Holy Spirit, through the proclamation of your word, would go down into our hearts, our minds, our souls, our consciences, and to stir up true and sincere repentance before you, and comfort us with the wonderful grace purchased on the cross of our Redeemer. We ask this in his saving name. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed who have been purchased and bought back to God by the suffering, death, and resurrection of his only son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In October, just this recent October, over in United Arab Emirates in Dubai, there was a 31-year-old woman who was in Dubai on vacation, and she was suddenly arrested and sentenced to two years in prison and fined $140,000. And this was her crime. She had texted one crude word, one bad word, that you probably would hear 50 to 100 times at an NBA game, even from the players on the floor. It's interesting that in in one country, a law and a rule can be so sharp and harsh and tight, and in another country, it's no big deal. And there are different places around this world where you have to watch out when you go traveling to make sure that you know and understand what the code is, what the regulations are from place to place, because they might be different than the one that you are currently living in. Let's take and translate this to the spiritual realm. You and I live in a modern society and culture today that has a moral code a moral standard of what it considers okay and right and so on. But it's rather different than the one that we see in God's holy word, the code that God himself gives us in scripture. 
Our culture's understanding of sin is so much more lax, so much more relaxed for us than what God's standard is and what his code certainly is. And we live in such a wicked culture. We live in a world and in a society that is just turning into a sewer. And even we as believers in Christ who stand in that sewage in our culture, let it affect us. We let it start to change how we view what is right and wrong before God as well. The author Charles Colson said that we live in the golden age of exoneration. And that means we can come up with an excuse for anything. We can come up for a reason why anything that we think is okay or our culture has given approval to that we think that is now fine. And just like Novocaine, Novocaine on my conscience is what this is like from our culture. It can desensitize us to the wrongness of what God really would say about so many things. It can numb our sensibility, whether it's, whether it's about taking God's name in vain, or lying, or gossiping, or coveting what other people have, coveting another person's spouse, holding a grudge, materialism, greed, pride, the list goes on. Our culture is so steeped in this and so awash in the sewage of sin and wickedness, and we stand in it today as Christians that it's naturally going to happen that we get some on ourselves. And we can convince ourselves that we're so much better than some of the really people that are really swimming in the sewage that's around us. We can convince ourselves that somehow there's a code that we have that we live by that that is at least better than that, and kind of wrap ourselves in the blanket that so many other people are doing the things that I'm doing, we kind of comfort ourselves in the fact that, well, there's got to be some kind of strength in numbers in God's court. There has to be some kind of strength in the fact that, that so many other people around me are not only doing what I'm doing, but even worse than that, as if that somehow shields us and protects us from the fierce code of law that God places upon us. God's eternal code, his moral ethics for what is evil and good in the world has not changed. It will not change. Now we might convince ourselves that on judgment day we're going to stand before God and he's going to say, now what century did you live in? Let me go get that book. It's different than the one for other people back in biblical times. But that's not the case. That is an illusion that our culture sells us. And you and I can complain all we want about how unreasonable God's moral law is and how it doesn't fit what we want for our society and our world today. But it doesn't change the fact that it's there. That woman in Dubai could complain to the court that texting that one little word in her country is no big deal. But that doesn't change the law. It doesn't change the punishment that is due her. It doesn't change the voice of the authority. And so it is with God as well. Ask the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah how bending God's law is. The same law that rested upon them has not changed, and it will not change on Judgment Day. It remains the same. 
God's truth and his law will always be pure and holy and will not change. Even though we might buy into the sewage of the world around us, God does not change. It's easy for me in my life, my spiritual life, to take my sin lightly, to treat it like it's no big deal. But tonight, come with me by God's word through to the cross and watch Joseph of Arimathea try to gently remove the spikes from the wrist of Jesus' body. Watch them try to take this body gently down on a ladder and wrap it in linen. Watch this little group of people take and gently bring that body over into a tomb and wrap it in linen cloths and get it all ready for, for resting in that tomb. If we think our sin is no big deal, this is what God thinks of it. This is how serious it is to our God. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here is God. Here is God in this cold, dead body where rigor mortis is setting in. This is the payment that had to be made. This is what it took, dragged through hell itself so that you and I would never have to know what that is like. This is what it took for you to be right with a holy God. This is what it took for you and me to be declared right so we could go to heaven. This is what the code demanded. This is what the regulations required. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Colossians. I love this verse. God has canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. So tonight, in your heart and mind, don't underestimate your sin. Don't underestimate just how viciously awful it has offended the God of heaven. Your sin is real. My sin is real. This isn't, this isn't a myth. This isn't some made-up fairy tale we're talking about. This is reality. This is eternal reality we're talking about. So don't take it lightly. But at the same time, look at the payment. Look at the cost that it took to take away the code that was standing against you and me that would prevent us from going to heaven. Look at what a big price had to be paid. The precious blood of the Lamb of God sacrificed for all of your sins. Mark the sacrifice appointed. Look at who is bearing the awful load of your guilt and your sin. Think how large the payment had to be for you to have your sins forgiven, for you to be considered holy and perfect and righteous before the court of Almighty God. Your sin is not a myth. Your sin is not a fantasy. And so the death of Christ could not be a myth, could not be a fantasy. It had to happen in real time with a real body and real blood and real death because that was the payment that was required. And it's been done. Not only has it been recorded for us in Holy Scripture, which is the most important, but God made sure it was even recorded in Roman records, this death of his son. But because of this, the eternal judge has nothing on you. His code has been satisfied. That tight regulation that would have hung over us has now 
been canceled and thrown aside. So because of that, heaven is yours. Live in that freedom, live in that forgiveness, live in that perfect, holy, righteous status that God now gives you. Amen.
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we humbly beseech you to set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls, now and in the hour of death. Give us mercy and grace, and grant your church concord and peace, that at length we shall enjoy everlasting life and glory. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit you reign one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank mm -hmm. you.